This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. It's the Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. Brought to you by Internal Consulting Group. I'm Mark S.A. Smith. As a leader of your company, you must stay on top of your industry or risk obsolescence. This can be a daunting task. Get ready to solve your biggest challenges and learn how to capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external advisors to fill knowledge and experience gaps, to help them make a case for change, or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. Internal Consulting Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leaders from around the globe and makes them available to you. Get access to insights, advice, and the tools you need to succeed. Learn more at internalconsulting.com. Welcome to ICG's Global Thought Leader Insights Podcast. I'm Jerry Purcell, and I'm standing in for Mark S.A. Smith, our regular host. That's because today, the table is turned, and I'll be interviewing Mark and talking about Mark's thoughts on the disruption of sales and business development in today's world. First, a little bit about Mark. Mark designs and implements leadership, sales, marketing, customer acquisition, and client conversion systems that find and recruit willing buyers for products and services ranging from common everyday to high-end, unique, and disruptive. He's often invited to uh, speak at corporate events because Mark delivers unique, valuable, and pragmatic ideas to grow and succeed. It's one of the things that uh, attracted me to Mark's work, and we've been working together now for uh, upwards of a year at least. Mark has a deep understanding of international business. He has delivered events in 54 countries. Mark is the author of 13 popular books and sales guides and has authored more than 400 magazine articles. He's a genuine guerrilla marketing guru, co-authoring three books with Jay Conrad Levinson and is a certified guerrilla marketing coach, a renaissance man. Uh, from Las Vegas, actually. With many talents, Mark is passionate about leadership, team building, teamwork, sales, and marketing. And importantly, Mark is the host of both the Selling Disruption Show and this podcast, the Global Thought Leaders Insights Podcast. That is usually. Now, today, uh, we're going to talk about Mark's practice and his podcast, which focus on bringing compelling thinking to business people all over the world. Welcome, Mark. Well, thank you, Jerry. 
with an introduction like that, I can't wait to hear what I have to say. <laughs> so there we, so there we go. If the audience would be uh, be nice to me when they listen to this, because this is uh, this is our first run through. The first thing I wanted to do was to call attention to uh, your newest book, Mark, uh, from MSP to BSP. And I found it a, an interesting read, uh, and I wanted to quote from the inside cover to sort of set the context for today's conversation. Quote, a timely guide for selling in the age of digital transformation. Mark S.A. Smith's book could not have come at a better time. The new answers to what do I do, what do I say, to whom, how, and when are exquisitely covered in detail. Now it's your turn to take Mark's material, internalize it, execute it, own it, and reach the sales you deserve. High praise indeed. Let's unpack that a bit. First, Mark, tell me why you wrote this book. I'll be glad to, but let me first explain for our listener what MSP to BSP means. Because that's a mystery unless you are an MSP. MSP stands for Managed Services Provider, which is the nom de jour for people that sell IT. And what's happening today is that there's so much radical change in the past three months. We've pivoted to where more corporate data is accessed from a phone than any other device. And with that change, and with the oncoming nature of 5G cellular service, it means that the data center is going away. People say, no, that'll never happen. Oh, yes, it will. And faster than you can imagine, my research points that out. So my pivot for people who are selling IT is to go from a managed service provider to a business service provider. And I talk in detail about what that means and how to make that work for the organization. The reality is, as an executive, your IT is going to be a combination of on-site IT, mobile IT, rented IT, cloud IT, software as a service IT, and IT we have yet to invent, (laughs) all orchestrated to function to fulfill your business rules and your business models. So that's why we need to have people in the world of IT who know about business process management and orchestration. The reason why I wrote the book is to help executives understand the radical shifts that are going on in the world of IT, primarily driven by the changes in business models, and how you can adapt and adopt to become more efficient, more effective, and ultimately more profitable. That's why I wrote the book. Interesting. One of the things that we've talked about a couple of times is the fact that uh, with all the change going on in the world today, that businesses have a real hard time keeping up. And the gap between the current capabilities that they have and the potential capabilities they might have grows and grows and grows. It does. How does does this thinking that you espouse help uh, clients with that problem? The interesting aspect of this is a concept called Martex Law, and this was observed by Scott Brinker, an intelligent man, Harvard and MIT-educated VP of platforms for HubSpot, which is a marketing automation company. And he observed in Martex Law is that technology grows exponentially thanks to Moore's Law, where we have an increase in the capacity of technology that doubles fundamentally every 12 to 18 months. The challenge is, though, that the typical executive can only adopt to change about 10% year over year. So we have this exponential growth versus this logarithmatic curve, and they diverge. And the challenge is that over time, this gap widens to the point where you have to have a a massive reset of the organization. And we're seeing that today, where over 5,000 C-level people across North America have already retired or announced their retirement. We're seeing this by the gobbling up of larger companies by smaller companies, just because they're more capable and they can handle the technology. The original Dow Jones Industrial Average participants, there's nobody left from the original list. GE was delisted this year. 
And because of this massive gap between the capacity of technology and the individual's ability to adapt to technology, it means that we're seeing a shortening lifespan of businesses moving from an average of 61 years to 18 years. So what we have to do is become extremely intentional about how close we can hang to the edge of the technology, understanding that you're going to have more risk avoiding technology than embracing technology, which is an interesting pivot. Interesting. I can imagine some of the listeners, no, they just turn their brains off because we're talking about IT. One of the things that uh, I have to admit to doing when I see a book on IT is to, to think that that's someone else's problem to deal with. And, you know, in probing and, and listening and talking to you and reading the book and stuff, I came to have a different point of view about the value of this work. Tell me why someone outside of the IT space uh, or perceived that they're outside the IT space should think about this or care. All right. So, listener, consider for yourself. When was the last time you went an entire day without looking at some data? When was the last time you went an entire day without looking at your mobile device or your laptop? The reality is that every executive level function demands fresh, accurate data for them to make the right decisions to drive the company towards where the customer's money will be in the future. IT is the engine of businesses today. Now, that wasn't so if we rewind the clock 30 or 40 years. IT was an accounting function. In fact, in the old days, IT reported to the CFO because it provided the reports that were filed and the taxes and those financial updates. Today, there is no aspect of the business that isn't run by IT. Five years ago, a person might say, hey, Mark, yeah, but the mining industry or the logging industry... They don't need IT to operate. Well, today, that's just not so. Every one of those industries has sensors everywhere to help the engineers decide what to do next to extract the maximum value of those assets. So there really is no business anymore that does not require some level of IT. IT is what implements the business rules so that the executives, the customers, the employees all create wealth within those business rules. So it's a shift, a radical shift, that means that everybody who creates business rules has to understand IT, how it changes what they can do to get ahead of that curve. Interesting. In sitting in one of your sessions and, and listening to you talking to a group of sales execs, one of the things that I found quite interesting is your discussion around the business rule pivots that are necessary for businesses in response to this change in the IT domain. Tell me about those, and maybe there's a couple in particular that you think are particularly important. I'll be glad to. The interesting aspect of what we've been going through in the past decade is that we're moving from this age of ownership to this age of access. And what I mean by that is I no longer buy CDs or DVDs. I pay for a subscription and have access to everything on the planet. And we're seeing this also with automobiles, Uber and Lyft and other driving services, where we no longer have a second car. We just use Uber or Lyft when we need a second car. And so this age of access has changed the way that people look at the world. More importantly, it's the way that investors are driving the business. Virtually every company that's sizable is listed on a stock exchange. And today, Wall Street rewards transactional revenue at a lower level than subscription we're stating the obvious here. The stock market rewards shareholder in some sort of price per earnings ratio depends on the industry. So for example, finance, it's typically four to six, technology, typically in the 20s. And yet we'll see between four and 10x that for a subscription-based business versus a transactional business. And so that's why right now, Microsoft has the price per earnings around 100, five times what it's been in the past. 
And the reason why is because Microsoft has wholesale pivoted to a subscription model. You can't buy Microsoft software, but you can lease it, you can rent it, you can subscribe to it. We've also seen this with Adobe. You can't buy their software. In fact, many businesses are making this pivot because of the impact on shareholder value. It's one of the things that's driven Wall Street higher and higher, and a lot of the pundits haven't taken this into account. As they say, oh, no, no, we're reaching the peaks, and then it breaks a new level. Oh, no, we must be hitting a peak, and then it's the longest extended bull market of all time. And the reason why is simply this. We're pivoting to a subscription world, and investors love it. That's not going to go away for a while. That impact filters down to every level. Whether you're listed on Wall Street or not, the valuation of your business will be based on whether it is a subscription model or a transactional model. And when that happens, you understand how important software becomes for customer relationships and maintenance. All of those things contribute to that subscription strategy. One of the changes that I've uh, seen of late in the software space and in some of my clients is the desire for, and in fact, uh, the software organization's response to providing software that solves smaller problems, you know, as opposed to the big, massive ERP systems and whatever, small apps and those sorts of things that uh, provide uh, a solution to smaller issues. So an example, as a bit of a back to the future stuff, but if you look at AI systems and things uh, where you, we might have uh, embarked on a solution that um, solves an entire end-to-end business situation, a lot of the new offerings or ones that I've seen of late are focused on a particular step. And it's almost like, so my response to this was, you know, that sounds like a fax process from 1965 or 1975 or something. Well, in fact, it's not because there's a whole lot more meat to the software capability. But it is really a different way of approaching things from a big solution, you know, the, the multi-million dollar thing down to, to thousands of dollars and then perhaps putting more capability in the hands of the client versus, you know, buying a, a piece of software that does a fixed thing or, or does a, you know, a huge thing. Is that sort of what you're seeing? How do you think that affects this market and how you would sell it? That's a really important observation. And part of that big pivot that we're seeing is that we're moving from this world of architecture to this world of orchestration. The big multi-million dollar does everything Oracle and SAP systems were architected to have all these pieces fit together. And where we're heading to is more of a platform approach where we're orchestrating And a great example of that is, indeed, apps, where for 99 cents, you can buy a function, and through a platform strategy, we can hook together multiple functions and put together the system, the process that you want to have happen. In this new age of subscribing to these various pieces and bits, it means that we can assemble a large system composed of a variety of processes or procedures that create a high level of flexibility, a high level of customization at a very low price. And that's one of the major shifts that we've seen from the old days of architecting an IT system designed to last for five years to a system where I can put together all kinds of bits and pieces with these really cool connector programs and services where I can hook together any one thing to any other thing and create my own system by orchestrating a variety of pieces. So this changes the nature that we can do things extremely rapidly. We can do it efficiently. It's easy to test. It's easy to deploy. The challenge becomes in managing the complexity. The value of using an architected system is that you have one throat to choke. But the reality is today, that's not what customers want anymore. 
What we want is people that play well together. And there are more and more tools coming online that can handle the complexity of stitching together services for multiple vendors, which usually scares the heck out of people. It's widely embraced by millennials. <laughs> so it's riding the millennial viewpoint of the world. So I do indeed see this interesting change where the large architected systems are falling by the wayside and being replaced by very nimble agile orchestrated systems the disbursement of technology is probably something that's quite challenging unless you can actually connect with clients and connecting with clients is all about selling to them we'll be back with more after this the world is moving fast it's difficult to keep up your executive team needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition download and share the internal consulting group's monthly executive magazine, The Insights Review. Every issue includes thought leadership and ideas that you can leverage to solve issues and harvest opportunities facing you. Get your complimentary copy from internalconsulting.com slash publications. One of the other things that I found intriguing about the frameworks that you talk about is it's really about connecting, understanding why people buy and why they would buy from you and whatever. Do you have any sort of particular success factors in terms of selling this kind of thing? How do you take it to market and how do you close these high consideration sales? One of the aspects to understand here is this concept of lean development, which has been the rage for a decade or more, is to create a minimum viable product. And in the old days, if you had a complex system, for you to create a minimum viable product would take you years. And now that you have a minimum viable platform that plugs into a framework, you can have a minimum viable product in weeks, if not months, it's never years. And the challenge that we have with this minimum viable product rapid development strategy is that we can bring to market a great idea, but nobody wants to buy it. <laughs> and you see an awful lot of venture capital being squandered with these ideas where nobody wants to buy them. The strategy that we have to bring to market is market development alongside product development. Consider that not just a minimum viable product, but also a minimum viable market. And I consider the minimum viable market to be more valuable than the minimum viable product. The reason why is because if I can get myself into a market, I can develop those customers. Over time, those customers are extremely valuable because now I have something that's saleable and scalable and I can bring more products to them. I see a future in startups that use the strategy of minimum viable market development. And here's the reason why. This is the model that you've been asking about. I want to share this with you. When it comes to our success, 50% of our success is based on our customers' motivation. Do they want what we're bringing to market? Does it bring them value? Does it simplify or eliminate or automate? If it doesn't do any of those things, they're not interested. We have to help them achieve their objectives. Without that, there's no motivation for them to work with us. People don't take stuff if it doesn't help them, even if it's free. Half of our success. It's understanding their motivation of the buyer in the market. 40% of our success is the relationship that we generate as we go to market. The reason why is because I don't care how motivated you are. If they don't believe that you have their back, if they don't believe that you're going to look after their best interest, if they believe that you're just trying to sell them something, they won't buy from you. The reality is there are very few markets where there is no alternative. We live in a very frictionless market where there's lots and lots of options. Gone are the days when you had a single store in the village and you bought there or not. 
We can get Amazon to deliver anything anywhere that a truck can drive to. (laughs) So this change in the frictionless access means that we have a new level of relationship where customers want to choose us because. And out of that, 10% of our success is the product. And the reason why is because there's so many options. The challenge that a lot of companies face, they look at that 10% as their sole focus. And then they're mystified why they've got the best product and the technology proves it, but nobody wants to buy it. It's because they missed the 90%. The reality is that our sales and marketing success is the 90%, that 50% motivation, 40% relationship. Now, if we can focus on that 90%, understanding your customer and creating the relationship, we can sell them anything that will achieve their objective, what they want to achieve or what they want to avoid. Think about the last time that you were trying to sell something and it fell apart. Was the problem with the motivation or the relationship or was the problem with the product? My bet. It was probably the motivation. Just didn't get their motivation. Yeah. That's interesting. I have a little story of my own. Uh, I used to work for one of those consulting firms that you'd know the name of. It wasn't quite as easy as just saying I worked there, but it was a lot easier to sell work into clients because of the the cadre of the brand. Uh, And so as I was leaving the organization, I went to a couple of my clients, you know, quite senior execs uh, in the banking industry, actually. And I asked them, why is it that you would choose me over this firm that I was alumni of? And the answer was, it depended, first of all, on the context. And so if it was a board issue that they had to get the board to buy into that having the brand was helpful because it's a risk mitigation strategy. But if not, and it was in their own domain, the relationship that they had with me was far more important than the brand or the product, in effect. I've seen this in action a number of times, and it's really about the connection you make with the client. I have to say that I'm in violent agreement with what you just said. Let's just dig into that for just a second, because I think that's an important point to understand. We no longer have single decision makers for any kind of situation. We're always checking with our spouse. In a corporate environment, we're always checking up the food chain. The example you just gave is that if a person can make a decision based on their history with you, it was easy. If they have to sell you up the food chain, it becomes harder without the overarching brand to bring them air cover. Like who the hell is this Jerry guy? (laughs) Exactly. Good guy, but I'm not going to put $10, $20 million at risk. (laughs) And I'm not going to put my career at risk because... Their career decisions. And that's where we get into this concept of complex sales, where you have multiple decision makers with different yes sets. They have to say yes to different things. And in a corporate environment, all decisions have career impact, even small ones. And the reason why is because the only way we make real money in the world of corporations is through promotion. And the only way you get to be promoted is by illustrating good judgment consistently. And a series of bad decisions will screw your career. You will not get promoted. And the reason why is because the next level up is not going to bring anybody into their inner circle that will embarrass them because that's a bad judgment. And that goes all the way up to the board of directors. So we're selling multiple deciders up the food chain, whether they're part of the decision or not, because of that career focus of where we sell. That's what makes things interesting and complex, but also very exciting because we've mapped out what the various players need to say yes to for us to get them to approve the deal. It has to do with, as you pointed out, risk mitigation. It's a risk mitigation strategy. How can we reduce the perceived risk of what we're bringing to bear for all parties of the food chain? It's complex. The other thing that I I recall one of our conversations was the... uh, 
comes from the propensity of consultants to talk about how they do stuff. Actually, nobody cares, right? And so it's really when you're talking to executives, they want to know what the outcome is going to be, uh, what you're going to do, and why you're going to do it. And they don't really care what system you use or the process or it's, if it's in a PowerPoint slide, you know, whatever, even though some of us spend many years making our PowerPoints perfect. Comment on that. What implications does that have for how you might go to market? I think that a listener is going to get this immediately. The reality is there's three levels of conversation in every deal. There's the strategic level, which is what we're going to do, what are we going to accomplish, what's the outcome we're looking for, or what are we attempting to avoid? And it can be a complex mix of elements. And there's some things that we must have, and there's some things we can tolerate. And understanding those elements of what we must achieve and what we tolerate, along with the why we're going to do this, the why is a very popular thing. People are talking about this a lot. And the why is the fuel. That's really the whole point behind why. It's the motivation for why we do things. That We've talked about the 50% motivation. What we're trying to accomplish, that's the what and why, that strategy. When we have a conversation with executives, that's what they care about. And then the next piece is the sequence in which we achieve those objectives. And that becomes a priority. Priority is when and where. When are we going to do it? Where are we going to do it? That's a sequential implementation of the objectives. And then the third level is criteria. It's who and how, who and how. It's how are we going to be doing that? Who's going to be executing it? It's a tactical level. So if you think about it, in an organization, and the C-suite looks at the strategy, the what and why, and the VP level looks at the when and where, the sequence, and the managerial level looks at the who and how. And that's the goal. That's the function of each of those levels. Have to be able to speak to each of those at the right levels as consultants. And we go into the C-suite and we start to talk about our models. It's helpful if they want to understand how we arrive at our conclusion. Yet, if they're hiring you for a specific outcome, they just want you to get it done. (laughs) They want the process. Help us discover the bottlenecks. Help them go away. Let's fix our process so that we can be more and more efficient. So we can make more and more products and we can beat our competition. We really don't care about the process that you use as long as we get the outcome we're looking for. Now, you go to the VP level. They're going to want more detail because you get to the execution level. So you have to feed them the right things at the right level in the right way. So it's about relevance at the right level. Strategy, implementation from a sequential standpoint, and then ultimately the tactics that you choose to use. Very helpful. One of the things I wanted to do to move us towards the close is to talk a little bit about some of the insights that we've discovered through our interaction with the global thought leaders in in ICG. Maybe as a second part to that, maybe we can chat a little bit about what our listeners should be thinking about. They've gone through the last few months, many of them pulled together their plans for the new year. Some of them may already be into the new year and be a quarter in by the end of the year, the banks and whatever, but what should they be thinking about and what kinds of things should they be doing to make sure that their goals are met in the context of the whole sort of principles around MSP to BSP? Well, sure. Let's start off with the impact of the global thought leaders. It's been an absolute honor to be the host of this show from its inception. And the key element of the conversations across all the shows is this idea of implementing innovation. And that goes back to something we talked about at the beginning of this show, which is MarTech's law. How do we close that gap between the technology that's available to where people are right now? It's the IT, it's the marketing automation, it's the psychology, how to formulate a better organization. It's closing that gap. That's really what ICG is good at, helping organizations that bring in a consultant close those gaps as rapidly as possible. Our job is to close it and help our customers keep it closed. 
That's a big understanding and very helpful insight for me. That application of Martek's law and making Moore's law our friend instead of our enemy. And as you go into 2019, I want you to think about a couple of elements that are really important. We have radical shifts in technology coming online in the next 12 to 18 months. One of them is 5G, cellular service, which brings extremely high bandwidth to mobile devices. Most data centers will be choked because of the bandwidth demands. You have to start thinking about the customer experience that you're able to deliver. So start asking your team about the impact of 5G, which is going to destroy companies if they don't get ahead of this because of the radical change in how data is served. The other aspect is this extraordinary shift moving from the age of ownership to the age of access. Look for every way you possibly can to create a situation where you can subscribe. People subscribe to everything. You can subscribe to truck tires where you paid by the mile. You can subscribe to carpeting where you rent by the month. That movie projector in the back of the theater is not owned by the theater. It's actually a joint venture where every time they punch a ticket, the projector company gets a piece of the take. Or the slot machines in Las Vegas, they're not owned by the casinos. They're a joint venture. So that's the subscription model everywhere. You look for every way you can to pivot to that subscription model. You got to do it. I wanted to bring it to a close and uh, thank you very much, Mark, for uh, taking the time and energy to get prepared uh, for this. If we go back to what we said in our introduction, uh, I think we've actually proved that all the words are true. I wanted to call our listeners' attention to the Global Thought Leaders Insights Review. It is on iTunes, where you'll see a number of other episodes. It's also on our website, internalconsulting.com slash global dash thought dash leaders forward slash clients. Well, it's not as complicated as it sounds. You can get a hold of me at jerry, G-E-R-R-Y dot personal at internalconsulting.com. And Mark, I'll let you uh, give your contact information, but I wanted to call out the Selling Disruption Show at actually sellingdisruptionshow.com as another source of some really cool ideas uh, from, from... And you're a guest on that show. I am. I am. It was the best one, actually, I think. But anyway, well, It was a great show. <laughs> You can grab a copy of my book, MSP to BSP. You can get it from Amazon, or you can download the PDF for free from MSP to BSP.com. That's MSPTOBSP.com. There's a link there that you can download the book. I'd rather have a conversation with you and give you the book than sell you the book. So if there's anything I can do to help you with these pivots, with these ideas, let's have a conversation. Thank you. That wraps up this episode. Go to internalconsulting.com slash global hyphen thought hyphen leaders to contact today's guest. If you like the show, share it with your executive team and review us on iTunes. This is Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.